0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel. I'm your host, Alice.
1: I'm Alexis. I'm Anne.
0: And today we are joined by none other than Owen from the YouTube channel, Owen Likes Comics. Hi, Owen.
2: Hello. Thank you for having me. Look. We're gonna have to get this off the off at the beginning. I'm slightly annoyed you waited until after you had Matt Draper on to invite me on the podcast, <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna allow it.
0: We had to save the best for last, you know.
2: He, yeah, if you can, clip, if herald. we can clip this and, and send it to Matt, that would that would mean a lot to me. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I'm I definitely on it. Will.
2: <laughs> but yeah, thank was... you for having me on. I'm I'm excited to finally sit down and chat with with you three. I'm excited to talk about one of my favorite comics, and yeah, let's let's do this.
0: It's going to be great. This week, we're talking with Owen about Darwin Cook's DC, The New Frontier. Uh, I was like two days ago old when I realized it actually is DC, The New Frontier, not just The New Frontier. So, you know, you learn oh. something new every day, folks, and sometimes you learn that you were stupid your whole life, and that's okay.
1: <laughs> it's like the V in front of the Ohio State. You have to remember it every single time. Yeah. No one remembers Ohio State. <laughs> Shut the fuck up,
2: Utah. So tired. Hey!
3: I am the only one that lives in Utah here, Anne. Still.
2: Yeah, uh, you, you tell them. Yeah.
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Owen's like, oh, the, oh, the colonies the are states. fighting. <laughs> Lovely. That's <Yeah. laughs> very cute of them.
2: What, what are they up to over there?
0: They're peering. It's tough. I'm, it's not quite as bad as 2019, but
2: they're it's, still it's not getting great. better. It's 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 on the way up
0: we're on an upturn uh, optimism
1: but, today i love it
0: yeah that's the kind of op- optimism we can muster is just half joking shrugs <laughs> and laughs oh geez but you know what an optimistic comic book is DC's the new frontier darwin cook crafted what i think might be the perfect dc story um, I have often said, I think DC Comics should read this book at the beginning of every calendar year to set the tone for what comics are going to put out that year. And so we just decided to do that for our show. We figured if we start with The New Frontier, it's a pretty good bet that we're going to be reading some more good comics throughout the year.
1: Yeah. Uh, and maybe some bad ones. Maybe. If we, if we want to spice things up a little bit.
0: Yeah, if we want to get a little oh, spicy, spicy. We, we might read Lock and Key again. I don't know.
1: <laughs> hey! I'm embarrassed, just, but it's fine. I just fine. thought you want to do a little episode talking about that X women comic. I thought you'd...
0: <laughs> I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. It's did you, not good. Did you actually read it? I read like two pages, and I was like, I'm going to have to figure out a headspace to read this.
1: <laughs> I have to apologize again. That's my fault. It's brutal. You're not funny.
0: Um, but going back to The New Frontier, I want to talk a little bit about the themes of the story. So maybe we can all just kind of shout them out for a second, but what do we feel like the themes of The New Frontier are? Uh, Lex, do you have any thoughts about what a theme for The New Frontier is?
3: Jeez, I didn't realize this was my AP lit class from senior (laughs) year. But, um, themes. I don't know, I feel like one that I kind of and I don't even know if this is like a real one, but one that I picked up on was how over and over again, it was said like, we all have our own thoughts about how things should be. And we're not going to change that. Like, I remember there was one specific scene where Superman was talking to Lois and they were talking about, I think it was like Batman or something. And they're like, why does he keep doing this? Why why can't we all just be on the same page? And he was like, well, that's just who they are. They're not going to change themselves to mesh in with the image that we're creating for them. And I thought that was really cool. Like, you see it multiple times throughout the volumes. And I just thought it was really fun to kind of... Because, of course, this story is, like, the start of the Justice League. Like, that's kind of what they're doing with it. So I just... I thought that was really fun, how they're like still wanting to be themselves before they create this big group together. So I don't know if that's a theme. but
0: No, I really like that. I think the New Frontier does a great job of distilling what the themes of the DC universe should be. I think for me, one of the biggest themes of the DC universe is legacy. Um, Nobody does legacy characters quite like DC. It's baked right into it with the Silver Age being a legacy of the Golden Age, you know? And I think the New Frontier choosing to focus on that point in history is really indicative of how Darwin Cook views the DC universe, that that transition period is the most interesting. I think people tend to really cling to whatever legacy characters are around when they start reading comics for the rest (laughs) of their life. Cough, cough, Jeff Johns. Cough, cough, Jeff Johns, (laughs) but um, I I think DC Comics hit me where I live when I'm reading a story and I realize that the people in the universe, just like me, look up at characters like Superman and want to be just like him. They look up at Wonder Woman and want to be just like him. I think Marvel Comics reflect back at me how I already am, but DC Comics get to be aspirational, and I think that's what makes them so special
1: yeah and to go off that there's a lot of really fun themes to pick up on here but i think one of the most interesting ones talking about like that shift between the golden age and the silver age is just how this comic reflects the fact that morality kind of shifts as we go forward in time and how things that were considered moral back in like the 40s aren't moral now and how we should always be continually analyzing what we're doing why we're doing it and consistently trying to make things better like there's a lot of themes in here that tie into like how for some people, life is really great, but then for others, they're just being completely marginalized, and it's not even talked about, and it's something that needs to be in the conversation, because it needs to, something needs to change. Because even though something like this could quote-unquote fly a couple of years ago, it shouldn't fly anymore, you know? And we get a lot of fun stories, especially with the all the Henry Iron stuff, all the stuff with um, John Jones coming to terms with being an immigrant to Earth, and everything that he wants to be here on the planet, and coming to grips with what humanity is all about i think there's some really really cool aspects there that we can definitely touch on later how about you owen what in this book stood out to you
2: yeah i i think something that makes the new frontier such an interesting comic to me is there's so many kind of angles that you can analyze it on you know you've all picked three very different kind of thematic lenses that all like majorly apply to this comic when, when I think of the New Frontier, the first thing that comes to my mind is kind of nostalgia. Um, but in a very interesting way, it's like it's like a love letter to like the 40s and the 50s, like the golden and silver ages of the DC universe. But in a way that doesn't necessarily like put down the modern era of comics, it's kind of like a, hey, you know, there are these kind of timeless, like moral and like ethical aspects of these classic comics. Almost like the, it's almost like, it's almost like a celebration of like an era of comics where stories were more innocent um, and kind of trying to like reaffirm the ideas of like hope and truth and, and justice at the heart of comics and try and reaffirm that now by showcasing how big of a part of the stories, especially in the DC universe, they were in the golden and silver ages.
0: I really like that. I I feel like Darwin Cook has an excellent way of looking back fondly at the comics he loves, but making them accessible to the modern reader. Because I will admit, while I love Grant Morrison, sometimes their everything matters approach can be a little dense. Um, A little question? (laughs) I think a lot of people really love the work of Jeff Johns and his ability to pull threads from the comics he loved as a kid and making them relevant again. But... Darwin Cook has a special talent for not, he's not telling a story that's been told before. He's not replaying the hits. He's filling in a gap in an era that he loves. And I think that that's really, really special.
1: Yeah. And some of the interviews I was looking up, there were parts where they were talking to him about like continuity and like how everything, like, is this a story that should matter? Does it? And he said, as far as I'm concerned, this is pre-crisis continuity. But since the universe is constantly shifting, it's okay if it's not canon anymore. And that's another, you know, just a huge part of this is going back to those old themes and these old characters and celebrating that, but also proving that they don't have to stay stagnant and you can move forward and you can look to the future and you can evolve from what you've had before. And that's okay because these ideas lead to new ideas that can shine even brighter than the other ones. So I think that's a very important lesson to take from it too
2: yeah i i'd agree with that uh just to add something as well you know we talked about this dallas off mic previously but i always kind of view the new frontier as like an interesting companion piece to kingdom come i think both of them tackle like nostalgia and like tributing the past in very different ways i think kingdom come is more of like uh it's more of a commentary on like 90s era comics it's more of like a a commentary on the kind of grim and gritty anti-heroes of of the mid nineties and celebrating an era of more altruistic heroes. Whereas the new frontier is more kind of, it's more kind of based on like the innocence of classic comics and celebrating, celebrating that. But I've always like thought of those two as like, if you had to make a double feature of two comics to read, they'd be one of the first two I'd put together. Um, And it is, it's to me when I think of the new frontier, I think of like hope and optimism and innocence
0: I agree. Um, I said at the top of this that this is the comic I want DC to read every year. Um, Because I think this is what DC should be. But I do think they drift away from it every once in a while. Um, But so I guess my question is like, what do we think the major themes of DC comics are? And what do we want them to pull from New Frontier?
1: Say to me, because I have always been like I talk all comics, I read all comics, I love all comics. But what got me into the space to begin with, and what got me reading constantly and consistently, and just made me fall in love with these worlds, was DC Comics. I was a DC fangirl, true and true, at the very beginning. Still am. It's still the universe that I hold closest to my heart. And the reason for that is there's always in all the best DC books that speak to me the loudest. There's this really clear message of hope and optimism, and. It's why, like, when people describe DC, a lot of people these days, and really since the Dark Knight, um, Dark Knight Returns have come out, have defined DC as dark and gritty. It's like the, the shadow to Marvel's like light, fun, happy-go-lucky aspects, and it's just never made sense to me because it's like all the stories that sing to me are like these beautiful melodies of just endless, endless optimism and just seeing heroes that can go through all these crazy hard times and just still be great people and it's been such an inspiration to me throughout the years and that's why like i know jeff johns aquaman saying to me this story in particular has always spoke to me really loudly it's just it these are the heroes i want to be they're larger than life in the way that they're ideals that i think we should all strive towards and that's what dc comics has always been to me it's been the comic company that makes me feel safe and comfortable
2: yeah definitely um, I remember reading a really interesting interview that Cook did with the Comics Journal where he kind of talks about writing The New Frontier as to some sort of like response to Watchmen and The Dark Knight Returns and as kind of like a response to that kind of development of dark and gritty comics and kind of like trying to reaffirm some of the more light-hearted natures of, of the series and of like comics in general.
1: Yeah that's actually the same interview that i I'm going to be referencing a couple times, and nice. he actually said um, in the interview, "I can remember when Alan Moore did The Watchmen and Frank Miller did Dark Knight. For the following ten years, whenever either one of them did an interview, they talked about how they never intended to turn their whole industry grim and gritty with those books, but that is what happened." And he t- goes on to talk about how that was a big influence in him writing these comics, because he had actually been very disheartened and by what he called the quote unquote degradation of these characters. He said it was disturbing to him. Mm-hmm. So to see how that mindset influenced this and to see that as kind of a response to not necessarily Watchmen and The Dark Knight Returns as stories themselves, but the response but like their impact. to those stories. exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So for anyone that doesn't know or foolishly doesn't follow Owen over on YouTube, uh, Owen is one of the best comics historians. I know I always love tuning in to Owen's videos because I know I'm going to learn so much about the behind the scenes of my favorite comics. Um so maybe as a treat for me on could you talk a little bit about the creation of the new frontier for me and our
2: listeners? Um yeah, I don't know how much like context dumping of Darwin Cook's life and career you want me to drop in here, but I'm happy to to dive I mean, into it a little bit.
0: I'm a glutton, so I'll let you do what you feel is appropriate. <laughs>
2: um so to so Darwin Cook is kind of one of the writers and artists in comics that I find particularly fascinating. Um when researching for my video, I learned for the first time that he was the storyboard artist for the intro to Batman Beyond, um, which as a, as a 90s kid is like forever seared into my brain. So um, obviously, like, yeah, Cook started working at Warner Brothers Animation, working on Batman Beyond and some of the other projects they were doing there. And it was as he was working uh, with Bruce Timm especially, they developed the idea for his kind of first standalone comic Batman ego, um, a fantastic uh, one-issue story that came out in 2000.
0: So, so um, good.
2: It is. It's it's like one of the most underrated Batman comics of all time. I was so happy when I saw Matt Reeves talk about how that's one of his favorite Batman stories. Um, it's just, it made me a little bit giddy. Um, so from there, Cook kind of became a mainstay at DC. He works on Ed Brubaker's run of Catwoman. Um, and it was kind of during that time, he started to kind of develop this ambitious larger than life pitch for like a big justice league story um around kind of the late 90s and early 2000s this was coinciding with the period where grant morrison was doing their jla run and you know well today darwin cook is a legend at the time they weren't really seen on the same level as someone like a grant morrison so getting the opportunity to tell a justice league story wasn't um particularly feasible immediately but then over time it kind of evolved into DC, The New Frontier, which is this kind of tribute to the era of comics that Cook grew up reading, um, specifically like a tribute to the golden era, the golden age era, Justice Society, and also like Gardner Fox's era of the original Justice League. And kind of that, almost like creating a period in comics that didn't happen, because obviously after the Second World War and the decline of superhero comics, you saw a lot of the DC characters that aren't the Trinity kind of vanish from publication. And then kind of resurface in new versions in like the late 50s and early 60s. And so the New Frontier kind of bridges the gap between the Golden and Silver Ages and creates this through line that takes both the characters that kind of maintain publication like Batman, Wonder Woman and Superman, as well as like the new heroes like Green Lantern, The Flash, Martian Manhunter, and kind of like celebrates like a 20-year period of both like comics history and also real world history as well. One of my favorite parts about The New Frontier is kind of in a similar way to Watchmen, it comments on like geopolitics and like international affairs of that era, um, but in a way that's a slightly more kind of hopeful and optimistic than than Moore's predications. Um, so yeah, Cook kind of developed the idea throughout like 1999, going into the early 2000s. And then it was released in March of 2004 and is one of the best comic books ever. And if you disagree, I will fight you.
0: You heard it here first, folks. Owen will come fight you if you disagree <laughs> with us. Um, I love personally how the New Frontier mirrors that strange era of comics between gold, Golden Age, Fallow Period, Silver Age by highlighting sort of... I. By using John Jones, it ties the story together. But highlighting like crime comics, highlighting the challenges yeah. of the unknown, um, Jack Kirby's first attempt at the Fantastic Four before he made the Fantastic Four, um, and using sort of the comics of that era to bridge their way into the superheroes. Where knowing a little bit of the history of comic books, this reads as a six age issue breakdown of exactly what kind of comics you can get all along oh, it the is. way it's
2: like just as much as it's like a love letter to that era of the dc universe it's kind of a love letter to the comic book industry throughout the 40s 50s and like early 60s as well mm-hmm. and the evolution that kind of popular comics go through throughout that time period
0: yeah i love that um lexi as someone who isn't as firmly attached to the teeth <laughs> of comic book history what do you think of The New Frontier as a story, as, as a, whole? a
3: story, I – well, I have to tell you, I when Dallas was texting us throughout the week, he was like, oh, my gosh, guys, like, this is a big one. I might have accidentally set us up for failure. And then after he sent that text into our group chat, he texted me personally and then called me because I didn't respond fast enough and was like, hey, dingus, I know you don't like to read, so – I know you're going to read this Saturday night, which I did, but beside the point. And he was like, if there's something that would help you to do it, I encourage you. There is a show on HBO Max of this. And when I tell you, I did, I read both. I read them and then I watched it. So good. So good. I love this. I'm so glad that we're starting the year off like this. It was so fun. And just like... It just made me feel so good to watch. And I was like, this is the Justice League that my two brain cells recognizes. I love this so much. (laughs) And it just was so fun, like, to see all of the characters getting their own little mini arcs of growth until they become this one big thing, not even till literally the exact end, like the last part of this entire book, they become the Justice League that we know. But I just loved it. I thought it was so fun. I loved the different moving pieces. I let out out a big chuckle when the dinosaurs showed up because I was like, Dallas, Dallas tricked me into a dinosaur book. But it just was so good. I loved it. I would hand this to anybody that wanted to get into DC Comics. I thought it was really heartwarming, but also had a lot of good depth moments to it as well, which I liked a lot.
0: So maybe before we start breaking down specific plot points that we like, do you want to mm-hmm. give like a brief summary yeah. of the story of the story? And then we're going to hop into spoilers. If you haven't read this book from 2004, Surprise,
3: there's dinosaurs.
0: and w- <laughs> it came out in 2004, we're going to spoil it for
3: you. I was I'm sorry. All. You've only had 15 Come on. years. Come on. <laughs> only
2: 16. Only. Almost now
3: a lot. You've had a lot of years, almost
1: 20, almost <laughs> all you procrastinators. <laughs> So,
0: Alexis, maybe a synopsis, and then we're gonna hop into spoiler, spoiler talk about
3: (laughs) this wonderful comic. For sure. All right. So we, with this one, we pick up a little bit on like the tail, the coattails of the Vietnam War, which I feel like is a really telling part of just history in general. A lot was happening then. A lot did happen. Was happening. It was just a really crucial time for our history in the States. And we kind of pick up a little bit on our favorite characters. We see a little bit of Superman, a little bit of Batman, a little bit of my lovely Wonder Woman, who's taller than Superman. And I wanted her to punch him right in the face. But, um yeah, so we, like, pick up on them, what they're doing, how they're coming out of that. And we also pick up on our kind of main character, I guess you could say, more or less. I mean, they're all important but we're throughout the story we're kind of following hal jordan which until the second volume i did not realize was green lantern don't shoot me it's fine
1: <laughs> it's okay that's why he has the mask no
0: exactly. one knows nobody that, knows that's such a fun way to start the story though like I not know. realizing that hal is green lantern i was I'm like, sure look, that reveal was look at this awesome. space
3: man. <laughs> yeah it was that great rolls.
0: you're it like was. the ideal audience for this i love that
3: that's my whole gag with this podcast y'all i don't know anything and i don't read until saturday night so surprise but no it was so great because i was like oh this poor veteran he is just traumatized beyond all belief from his time in the trench the one time in the trench and it was just it was it was fantastic i and i mean i was telling dallas before we got on like the 1950s i hate to say it but as a young white woman. It is just fab- fabulous in my mind. I was like, oh, look at Las Vegas in the 50s. Ooh, I wish I could be a pin-up girl like that. That was great. What a time to be alive.
0: <laughs> and that's actually the end of Alexis Taylor, as we know <laughs> it, everyone.
3: <laughs> Cancelled. Sorry, everyone. Hate to say it. But their little outfits, so cute. But um, yeah, so we kind of see all of the moving parts of them building up to um, fighting this big, bad invasion i mean we kind of mentioned it a little bit with the spooky dinosaurs but um we kind of get a little bit of each moving pieces from our justice league participants members and we see how they become to what they were and it's just great and i don't i will drop a spoiler warning right here because we're going to go deeper than that now so enjoy everyone
1: (laughs) It's an interesting story in the way we're going to break down the characters and what we thought about those in just a second. But I really feel like the big character here is the DC universe itself cuz we just jump around so much during this plot this plot um it's weird t- starting a comic about like the DC characters that we know and love cuz that's all that's on the cover, you know, like Wonder Woman, Flash, all the heroes we know are on the cover, but we start this entire first chapter with characters that a lot of people might not be familiar with. We started with the losers and Rick mm-hmm. flag senior. And it's just like something that if you're not like looking for it, it might take you out a little bit. And I speak from experience because I picked up the new frontier in 2013 as one of the first comics I was like looking through. Cause I saw Aquaman was in it. And I'm like, I'm at the point where I'm reading all the comics for Aquaman still. And, I was just like kind of skimming through this book. I'm like, okay, when does he show up? When does he show up? And I kept going through. I'm like, he doesn't show up until the very end. What the hell is this? And it took me a couple read-throughs before I'm like, okay, just sit down, read the stupid book, get over it. Before I'm like, this is actually really, really engaging, even though I know nothing about these characters. And it's so fascinating because i feel like that keeps happening over and over again because if you're just a casual dc fan like lexi i can only imagine like going through this and there's like the challengers of the unknown and there's like um task force x but they're definitely not like any suicide squad we've ever seen before you know and it's really cool how it brings them all into this modern light but in the setting that the the original stories were in It makes them characters we can relate to now and by bringing more modern sensibilities to like how they talk, how they interact with each other and how this universe acts together as a whole. Because it's really cool to see like a version of this history where the JSA is actually on the same earth as the Justice League and we don't have to deal with any of that multiverse hopping stuff. So it's interesting from a a timeline perspective as well, I think. It's like a historical representation of the DC universe. And I think that's where I first started to get my Appreciation for this book as a whole, and I like the whole um the Watchmen esque, um, Incredibles esque banishment of the um the JSA I and seeing how that like
3: Incredibles that's right. So
1: funny.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is this the Incredibles? Wait a minute.
1: <laughs> I I love that. That's where my mind went before Watchmen, and then Dallas mm-hmm. pointed out. I'm like, I'm not. Right. I'm okay. Yeah, you're right, <laughs> but I I have small brains, so I can't think that deeply. There's um yeah, it was just so fun to see an entire decade play out in this book. And it I'm s- sad to say it took me a couple reads for me to appreciate that, but the fact that I got there eventually is the the cool thing for me. How what about you guys though? Did you like this book the first time you read it through or were you reading it kind of dumb dumb like me? I
0: think I was pretty quickly enamored by mm-hmm. it, but I think that's in art in large part due to Darwin Cook's artwork. Mm-hmm. I That's like my platonic ideal yeah. so comic book mm-hmm. artwork is Darwin Cook. And so I remember opening this for the first time, probably within the first year of my comic book reading experience. This might be the only, this is one of the best comics of all time that you should read early in your comic career. I remember everybody handed me like The Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen, Kingdom yeah. Come, and this. And I read them all and I was like, these are all big commentaries on something I have no experience with. And the new frontier felt like the only one that told a story that didn't depend on me knowing all these things beforehand, you know, like it really felt like it took my hand and it walked me through and introduced me to all these characters for the first time. Like Alexa said, I'm pretty sure I met Hal Jordan through this comic book in, in comic books, you know, like I knew him from video games, whatever. Like I didn't know what his personality was. Um, and so this was a great first comic for me to pick up.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that. That What I kind of think is cool about the new frontier is the fact that you can read it with no familiarity to the DC universe at all. It is like a perfect hand this to someone. You want to get DC, you want to get all these characters. Read the new frontier, you will understand why people love them so much. And then at the same time, it's a book that's, like, so steeped in, like, reverence and lore to, like, really niche eras of DC history that, like, it works on so many interesting levels. It works if you're, like, a complete newbie to the DC universe, or it works if you're someone that's read every single comic from, like, the time it's set in up until now. It's, like, very few comics are able to kind of balance that being accessible to new readers while also, like, being so layered in like comic book history and continuity that it is such an achievement that this book manages to do both on like such a successful level. And I think as well um, with what Dallas was saying about the art, I think that's the reason why the animated film works so well. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the animated movie. Like I think, especially given that, you know, Cook had a background in storyboard animation and working on the WB animation shows, but like it, Not only does it feel how a comic book should feel on the printed page, but that look is so easily translated to animation that I know there's probably going to be loads of people that would love to see like a live action version of this. I really think adapting the new frontier into another form of media is best served in animation.
1: I was thinking about that a bit reading through this where it's like if I wanted to see a movie of this I'd want to see something more like Spider-Verse where it's like the animation is specifically designed and curtailed to honor the style that this came from because nothing else could do this honor if you exactly like if you tried to watch minute like even if you try to get like the same frames and all your shots if you tried to line it up with the panels you could like mimic it but you're not going to get that feel unless you get like a super talented director that we have never seen before, because I don't think any director out there could possibly mimic the style in live action, but it's, it's impossible. It's hard. And I remember yeah, that's cool. one of the reasons why they didn't want to adapt, um, kingdom come even animated. Cause DC's like, we just cannot animate this style. We how, cannot make this work. Make people happy. Alex
2: Ross? Right. It's yeah.
1: I would kind of like to see them try though. Have you seen that? Um, the, um, the Vincent van Gogh movie where they do like every frame yes. as a painting. That yes. would be a really interesting experiment if they could mimic oh, that with an I, Alex Ross piece. Now I
2: really want that.
1: Right. It. It's Animation is such an untapped goldmine of potential for storytelling yeah. and film. And it just keeps getting relegated to children and families movies, which isn't bad, but it could be so much more.
2: Yeah. I think that I like the animated version of this a lot, but my mm-hmm. issue with it and, kind of my issue with the DC animated movies at the time and even like still towards some of the more recent ones is like it's really good like especially as like a more kind of streamlined version of the New Frontier comic but like imagine if it had like a bigger budget behind it what it could have achieved because like the DC animated movies are really good but they are made on the the cheaper side and I, I think they do the very best that they can. But imagine, like like you said, if they did like a Spider-Verse level budget on something like The New Frontier or Kingdom oh, Come yeah. mm-hmm. and like really translate. Because I think like as much as like Darwin Cook's writing and like reverence to DC history is such a great part of and like understanding so many different characters is what makes this book great. The artwork and like the visual identity is just as important for me. And so like trying to adapt it into live action or trying to adapt it in a way that doesn't perfectly mimic the visual style i think you do kind of lose something from the original story
1: that's actually something i wanted to ask lexi lexi because you've you watched the movie yesterday so you are probably the one of us who's seen it the most recently <laughs> how does it compare to the books i know it had to have cut a lot out i haven't seen the movie in years
3: yeah, so they're definitely. So I like, like I kind of said, I watched, I read the first volume, so it's mm-hmm. like a half point, and then I watched mm-hmm. the movie, and then I watched the sec- I mean, I read the second volume. And so it was almost like they're definitely like the main plot points. It was kind of mm-hmm. eerie how similar and like spot on they were to those scenes. Like, I remember there's the scene where. Hal is, like, speeding his little car through the, the desert, like, going up on the walls and all that. That, mm-hmm. like, word for word is in the movie. And I was like, oh, oh, I know that. <laughs> like, it was just so funny. But there are definitely things that they took out. Kind of like, like, for example, I was reading what you kind of had planned for us to talk about on, like, the few different groups. And Lois and Jimmy, like, you had mentioned that. They were – Lost in the movie, like there was like one part with the two of them, and I was like, Oh, and then when I went back and read, I was like, Oh, yeah, they're pretty, like, they're pretty in this story, and just just, like things like that, like little things, I would say, um, Mm -hmm. were taken out, and definitely like how you mentioned Aquaman not being in it till the very, very end. Like, when I tell you there was a few panels of him throughout. Um, but in the movie he literally is the last scene he's like who is right. this spaceman that fell into my water <laughs> take him back please and just like dumps him on the beach and they're like oh hi yeah.
2: but like, it in the was animated... so good I loved it yeah like in the animated movie Aquaman literally like just shows up at the end and is like can you yeah. please stop putting your trash in the river yeah
1: he's like stop dumping things in here please and thanks <laughs> and then he just like gets brought into like the group hug he's like I don't know yeah, any of like, you he's like I don't know any he's of you, you go.
3: He's like, I only know Lois because this man keeps asking for her.
1: He's like, you all smell like dirt. Please let me go. <laughs> yeah. You all,
0: you all did your Death Star run. I was just down in the ocean vibing. Please leave me alone.
1: He's like Han Solo. If Han yeah. Solo just sat by and ate popcorn the whole time, and then at the end is like, hey, I brought Chewie back. You missed Chewie. <laughs> Everyone like Chewie. Yeah.
0: They're all down there like, (laughs) yup, nubbing it up with the Ewoks
1: (laughs) losing
0: their minds.
1: (laughs) But I think just talking about like how the characters are used, I want to start breaking down some of these because there's so many that get focused here and they're so varied and human and different. And I just wanted to talk about how they used each one of them. And we have to start with the losers. And it's one of the harder ones for me because the losers are the characters I'm probably the least familiar with in this book Mm -hmm. out of all of them you know characters from these old war comics that i have never read because i've never really been into war comics does anyone do any of you have like any sort of experience with the losers beyond this or anything to really add beyond this story because i feel like that's gonna be a a very common thread between a lot of people this might be the only story they've really been used in like the last 20 30 years yeah i, got
0: yeah,
2: I would say so i mean i'm not i'm not gonna act like i'm a aficionado of the losers Mm -hmm. um but i am like i'm aware that they exist outside of the confines of the new frontier one thing i think i i really like opening the comic with them um something i think is kind of cool is i assumed and this might just show my gaps in comic history i assumed they were a golden age property Mm -hmm. um but in actuality, like, the losers didn't come around until, like, 1969, although yeah, they like... are, like, set as, like, a World War II black ops team. It's mm-hmm. really, like, in, like, the late 60s and early 70s that they come to, like, some level of prominence. Um, it's kind of interesting that, like, this is, like, the New Frontiers, like, an origin story for the Justice League, and yet it opens with a team that debuted, like, 10 years after the Justice League. Mm-hmm
1: say i think that's one of the aspects where it's like a tackling the dc timeline in the order things happen rather than they were published because we know that the jsa definitely appeared before the justice league but they weren't in that same universe until you know crisis happened in 85 and it's just one of those interesting things it's i think it really goes to sell how powerful it is that we still know characters like batman and superman and lois lane and jimmy olsen after all these years when even if the losers premiered back in like the late 60s and they're all but forgotten now and I think that's also one of the most interesting parts the parts about like them dying at the very beginning because like their memory is literally lost. And yeah, that's I'm I'm glad they're in here, but they're definitely not my favorite part. What? We're missing though. They fight dinosaurs. They like, fight dinosaurs. This they fight, dinosaurs. Is they fight a, scientifically this is a great, inaccurate dinosaurs.
0: A this is a great history lesson folks these guys with a bazooka fight a tyrannosaurus rex that has thumbs this is the most fascinating thing we've ever done on this show and we're hemming and hawing about how superman is still relevant we know he's still relevant we love him they fight a dinosaur with a bazooka a guy pulls grenades with his eyes closed and jumps into a t-rex's mouth saying the, the big cloud in the sky was the last thing you wanted to see. It was the coolest thing I've read all week. And we're just...
1: <laughs> that is that is unbelievably
2: cool. Well, i just you know.
1: the dog. Don't that's, care about them. That's what I wanted. It's bananas. Banana pants. Can, and are over here like,
2: hmm. <laughs> if I can just rein in the dinosaur chat for a brief second, Ooh. I'm sorry, Dallas. I did want to say that the use of the losers in this book, as well as the challenges of the unknown, is mm-hmm. really cool to me because Um, the Losers comic was one of the books Jack Kirby wrote when they were uh, working at DC in the 70s after they left Marvel. And obviously Kirby has his background in the Second World War as a veteran. So him writing that comic at the time was a really kind of important and kind of meaningful period of his work history to him. And between this and the challenges, I like that even though like Kirby is someone wildly more associated with the Marvel universe, his kind of legacy and his impact is kind of sprinkled in throughout some of these more kind of minor and forgotten characters in the book and kind of given a bit more of a spotlighting than they have in like regular continuity. And I like how like, like I said, even though Kirby's kind of more associated with what he did at Marvel in the 60s, his significance in this era that the New Frontier is looking at, you know, he kind of came to prominence in the early 40s doing Captain America, then did some stuff at at DC and freelance throughout the 50s and then kind of the big Marvel resurgence in the 60s this book does coincide with like the era of like Kirby's rise to prominence. So I like how they take some of his more like lesser known properties that he worked on throughout his career and like sprinkle them in throughout this story.
0: Totally. It feels like a really clever way to loop in sort of father of the silver age comics into this DC story, which I very much liked. I always love a shout out to Mr. Kirby. Love that guy.
1: I also think it's really interesting that a lot of these characters, like the Challengers of the Unknown, Lois and Jimmy, Rick Flagg Sr., they're all these characters who don't have powers, but in so many chapters of the story, they're the ones that take center stage. They're the ones that push the narrative forward. They're the ones that are out there in the middle of the action. And of course we get snippets of like Barry Allen as the Flash. We get snippets of Wonder Woman and Superman, but they are like Next to like John Jones and Hal Jordan before he gets the ring, they're the heartbeat of the story. And I think that's such an interesting aspect of the DC universe that gets so often forgotten just that human element. Because people also will mistakenly, in my opinion, say that like Marvel's where you go for human characters, DC's where you go for gods. And it's just never something that sat right with me. And I like that this book doesn't forget that human aspect of all these characters and this universe as a whole.
2: I, I do just want to note that Jimmy Olsen was also a comic written by Jack Kirby. I feel like I should have mentioned that. Just, just furthering just my point see. that this is actually a comic about how good Jack Kirby is.
0: And this Surprise. is actually a podcast about how great Jack Kirby is. Welcome to this pivot. Uh, If, <gasps> I'm,
2: if I'm on it, it's <laughs> going to be a, a podcast about Jack Kirby.
0: Uh, we'll bring you back for Fourth oh, World if, when if I decide two things, to pin Alexis if down. There's,
2: if there's two things <laughs> I can guarantee... It's discussing Jack Kirby and Grant Morrison at every given opportunity. So you
0: you fit so. in great here. This is I finally feel like I've got someone on my side and these two, oh,
1: can I get these to get two fired?
0: are too nice to you. <laughs> They're not gonna tell you you're you stupid for liking the stuff that I like.
1: Oh. Uh,
0: this is great, Owen. No, Just keep if you say it, they'll sit there and smile and be like, "Yeah, wow." If yeah, I say, uh-huh. if I bring up Grant Morrison and Jack Kirby, they'll eat me alive. So,
2: so what you're saying Dallas, is you want me stop to talk talking. about how cool? So, what you're saying is you want me to talk about how cool dinosaurs are as well? Now, oh exactly.
0: my gosh, Dallas, look what you did! Exactly. See, you're picking up on this.
1: Every time Owen says something, it's just going to fall back on Dallas.
0: <laughs> this is beautiful. Um, I would love to talk about how this book makes Hal Jordan and the Martian Manhunter, the main characters. Like mm-hmm. that seems like Love such that. a, such a left field decision to me that fits so well with the narrative that Dharma Cook is bringing, especially the sort of sociopolitical commentary of Hal Jordan being like the ideal, but age fifties into sixties man that like America wants to prop up and Martian Manhunter being this allegory, juxtaposed as well though with um john henry sort of where like they bring up john henry for just a minute to sort of tell you like martian manhunter is the stand-in for all the people america's history forgets from this era all the people that get left out of narrative and making them the two protagonists of the story is a fascinating way to really ground the era the story's in yeah
2: Yeah, I think the only thing I'd add to that is I'd also kind of throw Barry Allen in there as one of, like he's probably the least significant of those three characters, Mm -hmm. but I'd say like they are the three heroes that represent like this new second generation of superheroes. Um, Yeah. as As a side note as well, something I really enjoy about, especially like once we get through the loser's arc and we kind of learn like the present day situation with superheroes kind of being outlawed, all of like the Justice League characters we meet in this like first part of the story all appear in the era and like the order that they were published. So you introduce like Superman and Batman first and then Wonder Woman. And then we get into like Martian Manhunter who showed up in like 1955. The Flash who showed up a bit after that and, and Green Lantern and so forth. And it's like, it's like really minor things like that. Like you don't have to know that. Like it works just as introducing these characters very naturally in the story. But if you're someone that, like, does obsess over really obscure parts of DC history and publication dates, you are just, like, punching a hole through the comic with how happy it makes you.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to sum up this whole book. This this book does such a good job at just being a comic book story, but then Mm -hmm. if you come back to it later in life, after having read a bunch of stuff, it's even better. You know, Mm -hmm. I this last week, maybe two weeks ago, I was reading Rorschach by Tom King and Jorge Fornes, which I think is a wonderful comic book. But I can't ask myself, like, who is this for? Like, if you don't know and love the history of Steve Ditko, like, who is this for? Mm -hmm. You know, and the New Frontier is the perfect example of how to make a comic that's like that accessible to everyone. Mm hmm be i it really feel like it's the perfect first dc comic book to hand somebody and i think oh sorry go for it no you go i was done
1: i was gonna say because a lot of that falls on um darwin cook's own nostalgia and like we talked about his artwork if you could like define it as one word nostalgia feels really great because it's like this shining just beautiful impression of what it must have been like for him as a child, just like all the things that he really, really loved. And that's one of the reasons he actually quotes is how Jordan becoming like the main focus of the new frontier is just that he really liked Hal Jordan, he liked his costume. He liked the way it looked. So that made the decision to make him one of the focuses here really easy, but also just the fact that back then the, the hip thing was, you know, test pilots and people who are actually trying to push forward in the new frontier, people who are looking forward, like um, looking up to space and, everything about the space race back then. So people like test pilots and astronauts, that was what was that was what was really hit back then. So you know, a character who was a test pilot who eventually gets an alien space ring and gets to actually go into that frontier seemed like the perfect jumping off place. The perfect character to start with and to finish with. And the there's a lot of interesting things he does with Hal in this book that actually got him a lot of backlash, like the fact that Hal was a pacifist during the war there were a lot of people like, oh, Hal Jordan would never be like that. Because, you know, looking back at earlier characterizations of Hal, especially if you look at like the Dennis O'Neill stuff with um, him and Green Arrow, he's with Green Arrow and Green Arrow's like, he's the newer, like he's the hippie one. And Hal Jordan is the um, conservative one. He's the old, as Darwin Cook says, the old fuddy duddy So he said he wanted Hal to be someone who is for the first time in like his depiction on the other side of that. He wanted Hal to be someone who was more progressive thinking, someone who could actually represent what he should have represented and that's just humanity pushing forward into new places and i think that's one of the reasons why his character probably spoke to you so much dallas in this compared to like anything else is because he's not really written here like he is anywhere else he's genuinely a like good forward-thinking person in this one compared to some of the other representations of him
0: that's so nuts when you write people with my same views how much i like them (laughs) crazy right nuts who'd who'd have thought
1: yeah and going off Martian Manhunter a lot of the stuff with him I really really liked because you talk about like him being the people that are looked like that history forgot about but it's also the people that I the way I read it it's also the people who history didn't overlook just the people that had to hide from history because a lot of His story isn't the fact that people see him and forget about him and no one's talking about him. It's the fact that he has to hide who he is because if he doesn't, there would be repercussions because society isn't friendly towards the person that he is. Like He goes and watches the movie about Martians and takes him a little bit to realize it's not a comedy. They're actually afraid of him. And when he realizes that they're trying to go to Mars and potentially fight other aliens like him, it's one of those revelations where it's like, I'm a monster just for existing and it's one of the reasons he's like okay fine if they don't want me here i'm just going to get on the rocket and leave and as like a queer person myself that's something that related a lot to me cuz it's like like i'm a person that exists i'm not harming anyone but there's still a lot of people out there who are like threatened by my existence and that's something that really spoke to me cuz that was definitely something through the entire 20th century just this raging sense of like you know homophobia and bigotry and just ignorance and it's that aspect of the story saying really loudly to me it was something that hit home really hard so I thought that was a really interesting angle to play whether it was intended or not probably not but it's just one of those unique perspectives I feel like I could bring and that was something that made the story better for me now than it did when I read it back in like 2013
2: yeah i i can definitely see that i think the cool thing with martian manhunter's character specifically in like the time period this mm-hmm. book's set in is it does it mirrors like so many different kind of minority struggles around this time you can easily re- read it as kind of discussing the queer experience you can discuss it from like a racial aspect and then especially like given how big of a theme like the cold war is and like the Korean war is in this comic you can also read it throughout the context of like the red scare as well oh like yeah there's so many interesting threads of kind of contained within his character and his journey throughout the, throughout the story that I find like completely fascinating.
0: You've heard of Chris Claremont's mutant metaphor, but have you heard of Darwin Cook's
1: Martian metaphor? (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm done. I'm quitting the show.
3: (laughs) Who made him the boss? (laughs) I'm pretty sure he did.
1: Why are you
0: the way you (laughs) are, (laughs) Alice? (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm the polar express kid what can i say <laughs> would you like Ick. to talk about trains wasn't,
1: wasn't that your profile picture on twitter for a while or am yes. i imagining
0: that for like four seconds and then i realize it still is my profile picture on instagram for the whole <laughs> month of december it's always
3: it the always polar is. express kid because people will send him the meme and be like people start
0: in like november 23rd like hey polar express kid it's almost your time of year
3: it's, it's okay, your it's sister-in-law like pe- people I'm... i
0: don't hear from for y- the whole year people from high school will be like hey polar no express way. guy i'm like we don't talk except for this time <laughs> of year. Friends. if i scroll a little bit up i can see last year's december you being like hey polar express guy
1: just keep it going until you have like a whole collection <laughs> that's true it's
0: brutal Brugal. can we
3: talk about the when martian manhunter was watching tv and he became bugs bunny best part yes. of the comics. Don't even care about anything else.
1: It's <laughs> very good. The only moment that matters. Yep. There was, um, he, There was a part that Darwin Cook was actually talking about there about how we view media and how media affects us because... The reason he became a cop is because he saw the cop shows and it's like, oh, the cops take down the bad guys, so I will be a cop. And then it took a while for, like, reality to actually sit sit in and for things to settle differently with him. So I thought that was a cool aspect about how media can influence our view of the world.
0: I like how the story continues to comment on how he was like a TV cop, though. Like, he, he spoke in catchphrases. Right. He... <laughs> Like, all the other cops around him are like, who is this guy? Like, this cornball.
1: Who does he think he is? He's
2: <laughs> like he's like a full-on, like, TV noir detective.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It, it's brilliant. But I also like that as, like, that could also be seen as some sort of commentary on, like, how superheroes were both kind of, like, especially, like, char- like darker characters like Batman were both, like, heavily influenced. And also kind of, like, replaced the era of, like, pulp and noir characters in comics.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Maybe I'm reaching for something. Maybe no, I'm trying no. to find threads, or maybe I'm onto something here.
1: <laughs> You're probably onto something here.
2: Maybe it's all three. Could it be all three?
3: <laughs> That's... Well, I just thought it was so interesting to see, like, with him watching the TV, and I kind of took mm-hmm. it as like he was trying to figure out the best way for him to be accepted into day to day life. He yeah. was like, Oh, look at this, like, look at this detective cop. Like, he is doing such great things for these people and they love him so I'm going to make myself into that because that's what I want to bring Mm -hmm. for myself oh yeah And I just thought it was such an interesting thing like he noticed that and was like this is what's going to make me be accepted by these people around me and I just thought that was such an interesting view to take
1: (laughs) it reminds me a lot of like um life in a small town because when I was growing up, the teachers would always say, like, you have to be aware of, like, the um, the hometown bubble. Because, it's like, things are one way here because, like, so many people are just like you. But the moment you step outside, you're going to realize things aren't as black and white as they seem. And that's kind of the journey I put um, John in in the story. It's where it's like he learns, as Darwin Cook says in this interview, he thinks that the world is more black and white than it actually is. Because he saw it on TV and that's why he makes the decision to become a good guy, and it's not until later in the story you see how naive he is.
0: I do love, however, that like he clearly has goodness inside of him. Oh yeah. You know, he chooses to be a good guy based on what the TV teaches him. But in that key moment where he can go to Mars or he can save King Faraday, he decides to be a hero Mm -hmm. much like this book made me want to read more Hal Jordan this book really made me want to read more Martian Manhunter (laughs) really made me want to be like oh I want this version of Superman the version of Superman that didn't come down and look exactly like people wanted him to and expected a hero to look like it's such a fun angle on this character
1: yeah there's but speaking of Superman you want to talk about the way the Trinity is used in this
0: Wonder Woman supremacy forever. <laughs> yeah. I love
3: big woman.
1: <laughs> There's, I posted on Twitter yesterday, but the quote in here was actually that DC had a problem with how he was portraying Wonder Woman. Because they actually sent him back a note saying, what's with this really chunky Wonder Woman? And,
3: uh,
1: yeah, <gasps> They and did not! They did. And he says, because at the time it was like the Michael Turner sort of ideals in play, right? Like basically a 14 year old with boobs bigger than her head. And he said, you know, well, he thought Wonder Woman Greek goddess Amazon, and he started putting all those together, and he decided, I'm going to make her the biggest of the bunch. She's a goddess. She's a warrior goddess. Yep. And so, so we got hard. warrior goddess thick with two C's Wonder Woman, and we're Ooh. all better for it. Just that scene where she's, like, looming over Superman, I was like, oh,
3: yes. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes.
0: (laughs) I do think it, sometimes I forget that this book came out when it did because it ages so well because of little decisions Mm -hmm. like that, you know? Um, It actually reminds me of the Christmas movie, Love Actually, that I just watched. Like the whole subplot with the prime minister, like falling in love with the chunky girl that isn't, like the whole movie, I'm (laughs) like, this girl isn't chubby. Like, what is this movie on? You know, like it's this whole big plot point where Mm are like, Look at this big old lady! I was like, "What is happening in this film right now?" And it's, so, it's the cool. The two thousands
1: is
2: look, look. That that movie's not aged great, but that is still a massive part of my culture. <laughs> so.
0: I like it. I like love actually.
1: It's, it's so weird. Like the two thousands, like the early two thousands, feels like it was just yesterday, but it we have to remember it's almost 20 years ago now. that, yeah, this that book was my came whole out, life. Right? I've only existed in the 2000s, everyone. <laughs> that's, that's all you've known. And it's whole life. <laughs> to see, like to imagine a time where this depiction of Wonder Woman would have been like, eh, that's not exactly what we're going for right now is weird. And that's actually one of the reasons why Ed Brubaker wanted to work with Darwin Cook on his Catwoman, because he said researching for the Catwoman book, he was looking back and he was appalled by how sexist a lot of the artwork for previous Catwoman books had been. And Darwin Cook was one of the artists who's able to capture like the sexual, like sexy the the sexiness, the cattiness of of um Catwoman without overdoing it and turning her into just a sexual object on the page. And I think that's that was really cool. Yeah. Darwin Cook I, I... champion, goat always.
2: I've always really enjoyed Cook's like depiction of Catwoman as well, because it does it still has like that inherent sexiness to the character mm-hmm. whilst also retaining like a lot of agency like right. without like taking that away from her and just making her like an object of affection. I think that the Brubaker run in particular is like a seminal catwoman series, but I think the way in which Cook presents that visually is such like a really big part of of that version of the character.
0: Well, and I think it taps into a conversation that I see Anne having to have over and over and over again is there's a way to be sexy without being gross. You know what I mean? Like Darwin Cook isn't a prude. Like, characters are sexual and sexy, but it's not gross. And those things mm-hmm. can be separated. You know? Right. Your your artwork in your comic book doesn't have to be voyeuristic or puritan. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a happy medium, and I think Cook really taps into that.
3: Well, exactly. even just like I had the thought reading it, um, even with the introduction of like Miss Ferris too. Like, she is a very inherently, like, beautiful woman, but she is so intelligent, and, like, the way that she just portrays herself and, like, the way that she's drawn, I, like, never once got the thought of, like, ooh, that's icky, the way that she's, like, like, her and Hal are all over each other. I was like, ooh, she's she's a classy woman. Like, I I don't know. I just had the thought with, like, all of the way that, the like, women, all the female characters were portrayed in this. I was like, this was done very tastefully. Like, these are yeah. powerful women. mm
2: mm-hmm. It's it's I think that's extra cool as well, because like I said, the like the vast if not all of like the prominent female characters in this book are handled in such a tasteful and respectful way that you know for the time period that this comic's set in, you wouldn't expect from the original kind of source materials that they're taking inspiration from. Mm-hmm. Like these are from a period in time where female characters aren't necessarily given that respect and agency. So it's cool to see, despite the fact that Cook is, like, celebrating this period of history, he's also, like, trying to address some of, like, the issues of contemporary media at that time.
1: Yeah, it's one of the things that makes me upset that he was, like, sticking strictly to, like, the characters that came out chronologically in that order, because I wanted to see so many more of the female characters. Like, I would have... There was a point where they actually wanted him to replace Wonder Woman in the story with Black Canary, because they wanted to be canonically accurate to the time period. And it's like she appears at the very end. I would have loved to see more of Dinah because we just get that little bit of her at the boxing match. He wrote these characters so well and with the double whammy of a story being set in the 50s, written in the early 2000s, it could have gone sour so quickly. (laughs) But moving off that for a second, moving on to the other two in the Trinity, Superman and Batman, I was surprised the first time reading this how little screen time each one of them gets. Or page time, I guess. Yeah.
2: It's funny because like Batman doesn't have a massive role in this story. And yet I think he has such a significant character arc. Mm -hmm. Like he kind of pops in and out of the book, like sporadically. And yet his growth throughout like the journey that he goes on into becoming like transitioning from like the golden age Bob Kane, Bill Finger Batman into more of like the more familiar silver age Batman is like one of my favorite plot points in this entire comic is seeing that. It really like demonstrates like the passing of the torch of eras that the series is discussing in like a very visual manner, and yet the fact that he's not that prominent in the story makes that even more impressive to me.
1: Yeah, I think that shift is really cool for both Batman and Superman because I think when I brought up earlier the fact that the story tackles shifting moralities and how things need to change for the times, I think that is very inherent in both the way that Batman and Superman are portrayed because Superman starts the story very much seen as like a boy scout and we see him taking down Batman and he's working for uncle Sam and he's giving Wonder Woman the, the waggly finger about how she handled things in Vietnam. And, Then later in the story, when he meets up with Batman again and we find out that he faked the fight with Batman and that he was always a little skeptical about what's going on. And he finally stands up to Uncle Sam and says, like, listen, I'm not really working for you right now. I'm going to be doing my own thing. I'm following my own judgment for once. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to move into the future. And I think for, you know, a country moving out of wartime, I think having a character that's no longer completely blinded by like that national ideal is what was really needed to conquer like the other themes in the story, like what's going on back home. The people are being ignored. You need to start questioning what you're doing. You need to move into the future, which is, you know, that constant repeating theme throughout this whole story. And it's also echoed with Batman who we start very much a brutal, the panel where he's just on top of the guy and, um, Manhunter describes hearing like the breaking bones and the screams and the, it's an utterly horrifying and like, brutal way to describe Batman but that's the way he was and the fact the kid like repulses from him and like rejects his touch when he tries to make sure he's okay and Batman's like shocked by this and then to see him come back later with an actual child ward a new costume a new attitude and actually working with Superman it's just two small points that mean so much the story they don't get a lot of time to do anything but they're so vital to the message I think in this text
2: yeah, another thing that I kind of picks up on as you were talking about that, and I and I think that's like a really mm-hmm. interesting, important um, analysis. Is the Superman's arc specifically where he is at the start of the comic, where he is kind of like a a stooge for the government, if you will. Knowing the kind of the things that Cook was writing this in response to, do you think in some way that's kind of a a play on how he was characterized by like Frank Miller in the Dark Knight Returns?
0: Oh, absolutely 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 the like the violent batman and the government stooge superman being transformed into what they're actually supposed to be more like Mm
2: -hmm. bastions and ideals of hope Mm -hmm. that makes me love this book even more
0: i very much think that's intentional
2: nice i never picked up on that until you were kind of explaining it
1: god everyone's learning something today it's awesome
2: so I, I do like that
0: what I learned was the title of the book. I'm gonna throw that out there. So <laughs> Anne's like, here's some deep, cool stuff. Owen's like, here's some great stuff. And I was like, guys, the title, it's got a colon in there. I missed it the first time.
2: I, I missed two letters and a colon.
1: I think the thing I learned that shocked me the most was the fact that it was actually colored by someone else. It was colored by Dave Stewart. And I feel like that's bad because we always forget to the, mention him when we're talking about it. It's so the, hard. Though.
0: You know, we can probably go back, and every good comic we've talked about, probably colored by Dave Stewart. I'm going to throw it out there. The man's the goat.
1: I'll go back. I'll do the research. I'll check it out.
0: This is actually my segue into us doing a Hellboy podcast, uh, because he also did the colors on that, and they're wonderful.
1: Did everyone have a favorite character?
0: Lois Lane ruled pretty hard. Not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah, I was was a a a great standout. I loved watching her float through all these stupid men in the book. You know, (laughs) like her whole plot seemed to be like, I am going to be the main character because I know how to manipulate. And that was fun for me.
1: That was fun. I liked the moment after Superman disappears, seeing how she reacts to that. That was, I like that was a cool
2: moment. Yeah. Um, like obviously, I think Martian Manhunter is. Mm-hmm. That's the character I kind of gravitate towards most. Reading the the book, obviously, like I think this is probably the best Hal Jordan's ever been written, and yet he's still at best the second best character in this story. Uh, and also Captain Cold because it's Grant Morrison. So
1: yeah,
0: iced out Grant Morrison too. I love the rings on mm-hmm. Captain Cold. As like my iced king. <laughs> this rules so hard.
2: I truly so do cool. stand
1: my um second favorite villain role for Grant Morrison right next to that one um, My Chemical Romance music video that they were in.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Love the deep cut. I was going to say the villain of Alexis's life, but I mean...
1: <laughs> Other than that, that one's too scary to talk about.
0: <laughs> Lex, did you have a favorite character?
3: I feel like I also have to agree with the Martian Manhunter. I feel like he took me by surprise a little because I... All of my knowledge, I have to admit, like, from the Justice League, I grew up watching that cartoon, like, Young Justice, and I remember seeing uh, Martian Manhunter and thinking he was the biggest stick in the mud in the entire world, and I hated him, because he always ruined their fun, and he was such a dad, but in this one, he was very fun, and I liked his little... I just just remember the part where he was, like, trying to sneak onto the... the, um, the rocket ship i just don't know why i thought it was so funny of him trying to be like all stealthy but they totally could see him i don't know why i thought that was so funny but i don't know i just really liked his growth and him figuring out where he fits in so i have to agree with that one he was my favorite yeah
2: i I think just as a side note in regards like there's a great if you like like this version of martian manhunter a great companion piece would be the uh the animated movie superman man of tomorrow Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fairly recent one within the last couple of years. Especially if you like that kind of parallel of him and Superman, like living kind of that alien life and trying to fit in. Mm-hmm. Their relationship is quite a big part of that animated movie. And John's written like quite similar in both. It wouldn't be shocked if like that was some sort of influence on the animated film. Um, but yeah, thought I'd Ooh. throw that out there.
3: I probably will watch that. I like these shows. I enjoyed watching the one last night. So, <laughs> well, now we know. We just
1: need to get. People- Keep picking the books that get turned into movies and then we'll, we'll ace Doom this. Patrol.
3: Don't make me watch Doom Patrol. <laughs> we want to watch
2: so, Doom can Patrol. Can we talk about Doom Patrol now? We no! Love Doom no. Patrol. no, we
1: don't. <sighs> See, this is the one bad thing about Zencaster over Skype. I can't mute Dallas now. Yeah, we can't mute him anymore.
0: I can mute
2: all of <laughs> <Okay>. you though.
1: <laughs> what? No, you can't. There's no <laughs> way. Do we need
2: someone else to talk about how good Doom Patrol no! is? No! <laughs> I'm here for it. If needs be, wow. I am the number one Larry trainer, Stan. We, we love our, we love our bandage king.
0: It truly, truly is wonderful. And I once met Brendan Fraser's very drunk son on the subway, and I chickened out, but I wanted to be like, I love your dad. I love everything about your dad. <laughs> I love, you I love you have your to be dad. Wasted, anyway. and
3: some random man comes up yeah, to you, a very badly. large random man.
0: That was kind of the thing. Is he's like sixteen years old, just like blasted out of his mind on the subway <laughs> and this girl looks at him she's like are you famous he's like he's a handsome kid you know and he's like no but actually my dad is and she's like no way who is it and he's like brendan frazier and i was like what <laughs> she's like who he's like you know like georgia the jungle the mummy and i was like doom patrol I was like, oh
3: gross <laughs> Well, I
0: was just sitting there like, I just want to talk to him. I want to tell him that his dad is so important, but I, I chickened out.
3: Oh, hell. Uh,
2: oh.
0: Truly, truly love it. Um, Yeah, so do we want to talk a little bit about the setting and plot of, of all this? Maybe sort of like the political tie-ins of the story and how it relates to the real world, and then we'll get into listener questions. Um, does someone want to take the reins on that? Does someone feel confident talking about I'm, this book as
2: a I'm happy to jump in as someone that is both a comics historian and an actual historian. I feel obliged to to dive perfect, into this perfect I think the the history side of this, in terms of like obviously we've talked about how it's like a great companion piece to actual comics history but the use of real life history and geopolitics in this book is like super fascinating to me that's the part of it where I compare it most to Watchmen is its use of like the media and also like the present day politics of its time period I love like the backdrop of different international conflicts in the story like it opens in the shadow of the second world war you've got kind of the Korean war and then like the Vietnam war as as the book comes to its conclusion I like how you see throughout all of these different conflicts, the various heroes that have kind of been around throughout all of them kind of change their relationship with kind of war and and with that kind of, with that battle and kind of become a a slightly more, not necessarily jaded, but kind of more weary and more kind of aware of the, that maybe kind of, it's not as a a pure endeavor as kind of they Mm -hmm. thought maybe in the Second World War. And I think that in a way parallels Like we talked about, we talked about this book being like a celebration of like an age of innocence in comics. The use of that, and especially like Superman, kind of becoming more of like an anti-war figure, um, in contrast to how he is with Wonder Woman at the start of the book. It's it's almost like incorporating that idea of like superheroes becoming less innocent and kind of straight-laced and altruistic. Um, but in a way that doesn't necessarily take away from, like, the important themes of the characters in the book, which is, like, hope and idealism. It manages to, like, give them a bit more agency and and moral complexity without taking away from, like, the idea of superheroes being aspirational figures.
1: Yeah, and to go off that, that has everything to do with, like, you know, the shift from World War II to the Vietnam War, because World War II is one of those conflicts in history that's just looked at as, like, this is pretty morally objectionable everything that was happening in germany is something that needed stopped it was a crime against humanity it was absolutely terrible but then you get into later conflicts like the korean war and the vietnam war and things start becoming cloudier and even though that sense of like patriotism still there that nationalism still there there's people starting to question like are we doing the right thing is this really why what we need to be fighting about and just that that shift there that single shift between like it's okay to go out and be a hero versus like, should we be doing what we're doing right now is everything to the story and everything about going forward, the whole moral shift through the, um, the entire plot. And it's, yeah. it was a very, very smart play. And it it, the fact it lines up so well when these characters come out is so cool to me.
2: It is. It's so interesting as well, because it kind of raises that idea of what is heroism and Mm -hmm. how that changes throughout like a generation. Exactly. How, like you said, like the Second World War is seen as a very kind of objective good versus evil conflict. Mm -hmm. But then once you get into like the Korean War and kind of Vietnam and the Cold War in particular, it kind of becomes more shades of gray and not so much kind of good versus bad, more like rivaling nations with different kind of political and philosophical agendas. Mm -hmm. And I like how if we kind of take that as as Cook's interpretation of like mid 20th century conflicts, you kind of see the superheroes not want to be a part and not want to be politicized in that way. You kind of like, they're involved in the Second World War when it is like a genuine good versus evil battle, but they're not going to become like tools of the state in which you could argue characters like Superman are the start of the book. They kind of get that agency as conflicts become more morally complex and instead find other ways to kind of practice heroism.
0: That's why we bring him on the show, folks. That was (laughs) wonderful. Wow. Thank you. Transported.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Dallas. What can I say? What can I say?
0: I'm having a good time.
1: There's a lot in this book that I think is really cool. Not just like the setting historically, but the settings physically, because this is really a world tour of the entire DC universe and the fact that it starts where it ends is really interesting to me we got to talk a little bit about dinosaur island and Dallas this is your time to shine what what did you think about dinosaur island and how it's used in the story
0: I thought it was very neat I think uh every time you add dinosaurs or a monkey to a story it gets better and this book does both so double good the only thing that even rivals how good this is might be batman universe by that maybe uh probably superman's pal jimmy olsen also seems to get it i
2: mean batman universe has gorilla city and dinosaur island and batman also goes to Thanagar and gets like a winged Hawkman Batsuit. That
0: might have to make it onto the show pretty soon because I want to re-read that right away. And it's, all, right and it's away. also
2: got the, the Wild West section as well.
0: And it's got pretty art that Lexi will love and I love so much. And then,
2: okay. if, yeah. you, if you want to invite me back to talk about Batman Universe, we, we can do that. Absolutely, that's going to happen. <laughs> but,
0: back to Dinosaur Island. Again, I, I don't have anything smart to say about it, Anne. I just like it. I like just, how just it's like there it. nice and place. I like that it becomes relevant to the story, you know, cause I think mm-hmm. a lot of people that I've handed the new frontier to, they read the first issue and they're like, I wanted justice league. Why did you give me this random? Why is Rambo fighting the dinosaurs? You know? And I was like, first off rethink that sentence. That's a great sentence. I don't know why you're complaining, but second, it, it's fun that it all comes back this is a very tightly written story where every frame is important, you know? Mm-hmm. It's it's a masterwork. And to have the second half of the story be everybody else realizing what the losers seemed to be onto at the beginning mm-hmm. was a really clever move that I enjoyed. And then I know I've said it like a couple times throughout this, but Darwin Cook ends this book with a Death Star run, you know? Mm-hmm. And like...
1: It's perfect.
0: Everything I like is in this book.
1: Could you imagine, like, if during the Death Star run, when all the X-Wings are blowing up, you see, like, Vader shoot down an X-Wing, and then it blows up, and then this green light comes out of it, and a green lantern just pops out of the cockpit?
2: Oh, the Empire would
1: be screwed. They're in trouble. It goes so hard.
2: It's it's crazy how you just found a way to improve Star Wars. Right? That's wild.
1: Disney, call me.
2: George,
0: with your little tiny hands, (laughs) give us money.
1: I, okay... With your
2: with your what?
0: His little tiny hands. <laughs> He's got whopper hands, George.
2: George, we know you like to re-edit the original trilogy. Yeah, you, we know you got another special edition cooking. Just throw Hal Jordan in.
0: It'd be better than whatever Do that it. giraffe elephant thing is. I Mos like Isley. the giraffe
1: elephant. Leave the giraffe elephant alone.
0: Okay, the pacing of most Eisley gets shot to hell by those edits. <laughs> It makes that movie
2: worse. All I'm saying, all I'm saying, is you've got like red leader, you've got gold leader. How can be green leader? That's fine.
1: Perfect. Canonize it now.
2: It's beautiful. Perfection. So, can we circle back to the dinosaurs? Yes, because I think I have something to
1: say about it too. But you go first.
2: Uh, I just wanted to talk about like the center as the antagonist and how Mm. I think the center is such a cool. It's like the perfect foe for the Justice League to kind of go against because like the center's whole thing is it's like a prehistoric alien that is like essentially watched human civilization develop from afar mm-hmm. over like millennia. And after seeing like the detonation of the atomic bomb basically comes to the conclusion that the humanity is not worth saving. And is like, right, before I escape from this planet, I'm going to wipe out all of life on earth. And I really like how you could do like a really interesting comparison between How he the center sees humanity and basically realizes that it's not worth saving. And Martian Manhunter, another alien that comes to Earth, sees humanity and sees the best of it. They're like, they're kind of on the same journey, but they come to very different conclusions. It rhymes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, George.
1: Oh, that's actually really cool. I hadn't even thought about that aspect of it because I was focused on the fact that it's this ancient prehistoric being that's causing this this massive threat it's a lot of it speaks to the whole theme of the movie of moving past what used to be into what can be and Mm -hmm. so simultaneously they're fighting the literal personification of the past but also since it's an alien it's also all their fears about the future that have been discussed and shown so far in the story so i think it's that double whammy of everything the book is talking about that the heroes have to beat and overcome to get to that new future.
0: You're both blowing my mind. I <laughs> had no I, complex thoughts about the center, and now I, I'm going to be thinking about
1: this all day. I told you I did my homework for this one. I'm I came to bat. I love this so much. Thank you. Wow. Other,
2: other reasons why the center is the best in the animated film. It's voiced by Keith David. Is it? Yeah, which is awesome.
1: Lexi, how was the center in the movie? Good. <laughs> <laughs> it was good.
3: I liked I oh, liked the movie. I Everybody should go movie. watch it. It's only an hour. Just just do yourself
1: a favor today. Go watch it. Was it's it on HBO Max? Was it better than? Um, did you like it more than the Superman movie we watched?
3: We watched the Superman.
1: She movie.
0: wasn't on that episode. Remember? Oh, Those she was wasn't on that
1: episode. <gasps> never mind. No, watch the movie without me.
0: <laughs> we had a movie club without you.
3: That's all right. I watched. Remember how you guys did a watching of Over the Garden Wall, and I just never got invited. Mm-hmm. I, watched I watched it by on myself. <laughs>
1: Okay, but did you like it? Did you like was very kind of- cute, yeah. Good, good. Uh now to go and not feel guilty about that, okay. Yeah, y'all
3: it disclude me.
1: Dis-
0: I am the Disclude. Is that a word? It's disclude.
1: Yep. yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hey,
3: I am done with college. I graduated a year and a half ago. I don't ever, ever, ever need to have a complex thought again. Okay. Right? <laughs> Never. All
0: right. Well, I'm going to be <laughs> discluding you from my thoughts for the rest of the day. <laughs> Should we do some oh, listener good. questions?
1: Yes, I would love to do some listener questions. <laughs> Anne's like, please, Jesus, yes. Please.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: All right. First question
0: from Glenn Machette. Dun, 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 dun. Don't know him. He says New Frontier <laughs> yeah. question. Dear gang, hope you all had a nice holiday season. Here are two questions. Cook wrote and drew before Watchmen, Minutemen, which some view is a dark companion piece to New Frontier. What does the Collective and Owen make of this? Do you agree? I have not read that, but I do think the New Frontier goes quite nicely with Watchmen.
2: Yeah, it's been a while since I read any of the Before Watchmen comics. I remember that Cook works on one of them, but it's it's been a while since I've gone into those books i do think like you said watchmen and the new frontier do go hand in hand really well both like i think they have a very similar structure and kind of like basic thematic uh, approaches but are done in very different conclusions Moore's approach is kind of a more I, i like to think of it as like Moore uses real world history to tell a story about how if superheroes were real we would bring them down to our level Whereas Cook's approach is more, if superheroes were real, they would bring us up to their level.
1: Oh, I think that. That makes
2: sense. So I I, I can't necessarily comment about the Minutemen book Cook worked on because it's been years since I read it. But I definitely know that Cook has like a very deep understanding and reverence of Watchmen. Um, So I, I would be kind of interested in going and looking at that now and seeing what the comparisons are. Absolutely.
1: Say, I'd agree. If I have time this week, I would love to read through this and hopefully get back to this question next week. I definitely didn't get this in time enough for me to read it beforehand because I still had all the research to do on this one, but maybe next week. Since I, spoiler alert, Avengers um, Academy is slightly less heavy than this, so I think we'll be okay. I think I can pull off the double feature.
0: I like it. All right, question number two. I always thought it would be interesting to see a Marvel version of this. Who do you think would be best to do such a project today? Many thanks.
1: Say, funny enough, that's actually what I recall the Marvels. I think that's the closest thing we have to something like this, it's just a historical look at this universe as it was happening in real time.
2: Yeah. The two books came to mind. Now, Marvels was one of them, but I, mm-hmm. I'm kind of torn between whether this is more of like similar to this or kingdom come and obviously both are alex ross approaches mm-hmm. but marvels is always a book more about celebrating the past whereas kingdom come is more about a fear of the future um so i, I think marvels is definitely a great companion piece the other one i'd say is a more recent one it's uh the chip zadarsky mark bagley spider-man life story um, mm-hmm. which takes like a very similar approach. It starts in 1962 where Peter is a 15 year old that gets bit by the spider. And then it shows you his life and everything that happens in real time. Mm-hmm. And it includes a lot of international politics of that era. There's a great bit um, during the middle of the story where you see kind of the, the kind of superhuman civil war happen through the perspective of Vietnam and how like Tony Stark being like a, a war person, I don't want to say a war profiteer, that sounds mean, but that's probably right. He kind of takes one side, he's kind of like helping the US military. And then you see like Captain America, essentially like become like an anti-Rambo and like switch sides and like work with, and kind of help liberate the Vietnamese people. Um, So I I think that's probably like, that's very like Spider-Man centric as opposed to a book that's kind of like celebrates Mm -hmm. the wider universe. But in terms of like a more character focused Marvel story that accomplishes quite a similar thing, I think Spider-Man Life Story is probably the closest comparison.
1: I'm glad you brought that up. I'm one of the unpopular people because I didn't like Life Story that much. And I think the reason is because it brings up really cool aspects of the universe like that. But it just it's so focused on Spider-Man. It doesn't take the time to actually get to explore those a lot. Yeah. And yeah, I my that... feeling
2: with Life Story is that my only I, I love it. I think it's a tremendous story. But the biggest problem with it is that it's only six issues. Exactly it could quite easily be like a multi-volume, at least like a 12-issue, if not like a multi-volume story that jumps into like different characters and eras. Because you get like little glimpses of Cats in America and Tony Stark and Reed Richards. But because it's so focused on Peter and celebrating like different eras of his comic history, you don't really get enough time with those other characters. I- I'd agree with that.
0: Um, I would also point people to Mark Wade and Javier Rodriguez's History of the Marvel Universe from a couple years ago. I think that is a stellar comic book that sort of seeks to make a narrative out of all of Marvel's comics. So it's not like a one for one for the new frontier, obviously, but it's similarly an artistic triumph in my opinion. All right. Question number two from John Keller. Uh, Dear Owen, Dallas, Anne, and Alexis. Was there a character in the New Frontier that you didn't like the interpretation of them compared to their comics counterpart?
2: So so versions that we like less in the New Frontier? As compared to? Yeah. No, not for me. I can't, th- I, I can't think of anyone. I like be this better. <laughs> I like them all more.
1: <laughs> I, For a second, I thought it was going to be Superman because I thought they were... The first time reading it through because I for, I've forgotten the story I I haven't read the story probably in like five or six years so when I was reading I'm like did they did they really um <laughs> um Frank Miller Superman in the story but then at the after we get to the end and I realized where his story was going I'm like oh wait no they didn't we're fine everything's okay so yeah. there was a second when I was like thinking about it but no I think we're good
0: is there anyone here that you didn't love Alexis
3: Well, not really that I can think of off the top of my head. I really did like the introductions of everyone. I feel like they're like, I mean, Aquaman, we didn't see very much of him.
0: So oh, I'd like to I, change my answer.
3: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, go for it. Because I was going to say, like, I, I would have liked to see more of him because I, I mean, I've loved the comics we've read from Aquaman, so. Right. But he made me chuckle a little bit. So he uh, he still gets an honorable mention of being good, but not great.
2: you know to slightly change the parameters of the question we're being asked a character that i understand why they're not included in this story that i would have liked to have seen is shazam because like much like shazam is like captain marvel is one of like the big characters of of the golden age and someone who actually like misses a lot of this period mm -hmm. um because of the lawsuit between dc and fawcett i think it's like 1954 that Fawcett sees publication of Captain Marvel's comics and then they don't show up until like um the 60s and 70s when DC buy the rights and kind of reintegrate them into the DC universe and I think like especially with Billy being like a teenage like a child slash teenage superhero you could do something quite interesting seeing his growth from being like a, a young child to being an adult and like a personification of that kind of age of innocence
0: that would be really fun. And especially just sort of making a triplet of Martian Manhunter's Superman and Billy Batson yeah. as
2: or different maybe we can just maybe we could just cut this section and I can keep the idea to myself and yeah. go to DC and pitch Shazam! Life Story.
0: Oh, that'd be so good. That'd be so good. I would read that, Owen. Thanks. Um, I'd write it. <laughs> and he'd be paid for it, DC. An appropriate amount. Maybe more. <laughs> then you even think he should be paid for it, DC. That's what I have to say about that. Um, Brian Yunt writes in and says, Hello, Comics Collective. What do you think about the JFK speech at the end? How do you think it frames the characters and the future that is being shown to them? In addition, how do you think it frames the characters in American culture? Thanks for the great podcast, Ethan.
2: So, I... Sorry, I have a lot to say about the use of JFK in this comic. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously the title the new frontier is taken from one of his iconic speeches and i think using jfk at the end of this book is such an interesting choice for me because like in that period of american history kennedy is seen as like ushering in a new era of kind of um optimism and like freshness in american culture and like a renewed sense of uh, like a renewed sense of self and like um hope and optimism towards America's future, kind of moving on from the era of kind of wartime into a more kind of uh, tolerable and kind of liberal society. And I like having like the advent and the development of superheroes mirror that in a lot of ways and be kind of the physical representation of, of Kennedy's idea of the new frontier. I also think it's kind of on a slightly dour note, the fact that, you know, Kennedy is how do I say this in a nice way, those ideas aren't necessarily realised because Kennedy doesn't survive much longer after he becomes president, kind of mirrors the way that kind of Cook's like celebration of the Age of Innocence in this period of comics doesn't last. The fact that comics do eventually take a darker turn and become something that Cook kind of wants to pull back against and celebrate an older period of, also kind of like, as much as like, the use of Kennedy at the end of this book is, like, such, like, an an optimistic note, knowing what comes after, both in terms of, like, American history and also comic history. It also has, like... It's almost very bittersweet to me.
0: Yeah, I... It's always bittersweet how prescient this speech still feels when I read this comic. That, like, this speech would be just as applicable right now as it was before the civil rights movement in America. You know what I mean? I... And so, yeah, it fills me with hope and joy and ideals and, like, I want this world. I want this new frontier. But then there is always a little bit of a sting, like, well, they wanted this new frontier 60 years ago as yeah, well.
2: I, I like how, especially, like, understanding this comic's place in continuity as kind of being, like, the epilogue to, like, the Earth 2 Golden Age characters. I like the idea of using the Kennedy speech and this idea of... um Like being on the cusp of a new age of kind of tolerance and and heroism, being like, okay, maybe in terms of like the actual DC Comics continuity that we got in kind of crisis and onwards, things didn't necessarily go the way Cook envisaged the same way in kind of American history. The kind of the cusp of a new era that Kennedy was um, kind of symbolizing was kind of taken away this idea of, like, in Cook's own kind of self-contained vacuum and the universe he creates, there is that kind of happy ending.
0: Does that make the new 52 Ronald Reagan?
1: <laughs> um, I have to go back and check how it handled its gay characters, and I'll get back to you.
0: So the answer is yes. Yes,
1: yes it is. <laughs> yes, <laughs> There's, um, I'm not sure if you, because I, I had to back out for a second, I'm not sure if you touched on it, but in the interview Cook actually does talk about that line a little bit and what he has to say about it is that i think the speech speaks about the challenges that would face the country if it decided to take a higher moral ground and to embrace the future in a less adversarial fashion i don't know it speaks to all the great things that lay ahead but it also warns us about all the things that can keep it from happening so i think that's a perfect perfect little summary there
2: yeah that's fascinating i think as well you could also kind of if you wanted to like discuss this comic's use of Kennedy and then compare it to how like Frank Miller uses um, Reagan in the Dark Knight Returns and how those two as like symbolic figures of American kind of culture and their place in the world at that time result in the world of those comics being so vastly different.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting in modern comics how much they want to stray away from using real political figures there seems to have been a conscious decision a little bit after New Frontier, honestly, to be like, we're going yeah. to use pretend presidents. for.
2: I, I think that's probably mostly done as an attempt to not age the books. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, Marvel especially are very big on the idea of like a sliding timeline and that everything takes place now or in 15 minutes time, as I think Stanley once said, everything takes place 15 minutes into the future. Um, so, so I think, although there are probably like political reasons for not wanting to use characters i'm sure of like the actual president showed up in a marvel or dc book now you'd have one side complaining that the favoring or Mm -hmm. painting a political figure in a negative light or or whatever yeah Um, but i think it probably is more of a making those books kind of feel timeless and quintessential i guess but in situations like this where it is just kind of a self-contained story that pays tribute to a specific area of time you are kind of able to use real life political figures and kind of take what they represent and use them to inform a fictional story
0: yeah and i think there's something powerful to that i mean when i think of from hell that we read however long ago i always think of Margaret Thatcher era UK, you know, I think of Alan Moore's views on the world around him framed through that story. Yeah,
2: that and Moore, especially, is like one of the greatest at that. I've been recently reading uh, Moore's run on Miracle Man um, in preparation for an upcoming video. And that book is like the idea of like the looming threat of uh, authoritarianism and also nuclear annihilation is so heavily rooted in like contemporary British politics of that time. It's not really something like. That is something that was quite big in comics in like the 60s, 70s, and 80s that has kind of been lost from modern day. Um, so it's nice to see it be used in a really interesting way in The New Frontier.
0: Absolutely. Um, our last question of the day comes from Tux. Hey, Comics Collective. My favorite part of The New Frontier is the way superheroes intersect with the political climate of the 1950s, like with how countering the space race's inherent international hostility um so we just talked a little bit about that if there was a dc comic with a similar approach to the later 20th century history how do you think they could go about it for example i think the teen titans could be a good focal point for the rise of young counterculture p.s owen thanks for blessing the pod with your dulcet tones
2: (laughs) you are you're very welcome
0: i actually think the Other History of the DC Universe mm-hmm. did an excellent job of just that recently. Bingo. So, and they
1: used the Outsiders mm-hmm. almost used, exclusively through that.
0: They used the Outsiders to tell the story of the later half of the 20th mm-hmm. century. So like literally exactly what you're asking for, Tux, just came out. It was very good.
1: Yep. And they did use the Teen Titans in there, but they used the to show like, hey, maybe the Teen Titans weren't that perfect.
0: Bunch of racist kids. <laughs> I don't know. Does anyone have any hypotheticals that they want to explore? Or do we just want to point Tux to the other history of the DC universe?
1: Say, I don't know. The only other thing I could think of is like maybe Young Justice. But that's about all I got.
0: Yeah, I really feel like Ridley kind of uh, nailed it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Cool well
1: yeah. awesome <laughs> we did it we got we,
0: <laughs> we did it we made a new frontier episode with owen this was really fun i feel like i like one of my favorite comics ever more after this conversation so i hope the listeners and i hope you all feel the same way um before we close, Owen, do you want to plug, pitch anything, point people towards your amazing work?
2: Um, yeah, sure. Firstly, um, thank you for having me on, everyone. I've been itching to get on this podcast for a while. Um, don't think I didn't notice all of the other people, all my friends that you invited before me. <laughs> uh, I can happily name them all. Name and shame. Oh, please, please. The fact you invited. Please, Pat we Draper, need to plug them. Azana, uh, Critical bands for Every Kind of Geek, all got on before me. Owen, um, if
0: I'm being honest, it's because I was the most nervous. I didn't know. I was like, I don't know Owen
2: as I'm well. An appro- and I I'm, an, know- I'm an approachable person. I don't <laughs> have some sort of tough guy persona like <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's
3: Okay,
2: it's if, good. if you're listening, Matt, I, I, I do love you. I can't wait to talk about Daredevil with you. Um, but yeah, thank you for having me on. Um, it's been great getting to talk about one of my favorite books. Um, and even I've, I thought I knew this comic inside out and I've learned a lot today. Um, So, educational afternoon all round. If you enjoyed listening to my my dulcet tones, as they were described, uh, you can listen to a whole bunch of it over on my YouTube channel, Owen Likes Comics, where I break down the real-world history behind your favourite comic book characters, stories, and editorial shit shows behind the scenes. Let's put it that way. Um, I don't know when you're going to be hearing this, but January is going to be... It's been officially dubbed the Amazing Spider Month. Um, where I am taking the entire month to delve behind the scenes of the Andrew Garfield Amazing Spider-Man movies look at what they did right look at what they did wrong look at some of the interesting behind the scenes situations going on um, as those films were being made um, some of Sony's ludicrous ambitious plans to use them to launch a shared cinematic universe full of wild and varying quality ideas of other films and then kind of ultimately talk about how they fell apart and how we got the mcu spider-man and what we might see in the future um so do go over to youtube.com and slash owen likes comics and check them out and follow me on twitter at owen likes comics you can hear my dulcet tones in written form
1: rest in peace the aunt may movie and yeah man, spy movie rest in peace aunt
2: you, th- may. you think the Ant may movie's wild wait until i you hear me talk about amazing spider-man 1.5
1: oh okay i'm excited i'm ready
2: which I I won't say any more because that is like the the crown jewel of of that video. It's talking about the fact that they were genuinely considering making a movie called Amazing Spider-Man 1.5. I I thought thought you were being like so badly.
1: I thought you were being like facetious. No, okay, now I'm interested. (laughs) Now I'm super interested.
2: Without giving too much away, basically Sony at one point were discussing making a movie set between The Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2 after 2 had come out. Mostly so they could get emma stone back um, at one point it was also a craven the hunter movie so uh,
0: yeah. craven the hunter has been dancing around the spider-man movies for literally like i feel years. like
2: i feel so sorry for craven he he was almost in no way home and then he was you know yeah. he's been like trying to get his own movie for years poor guy poor, poor craven i bet it's yeah, next if, if, if that sounds like something you want to hear more about Check out the amazing Spider-Month over yes. on Owen Likes Comics.
0: And absolutely the highest recommendation for us for Owen's channel. I, I watch a lot of video essays about various things. And what Owen does is something special. I really mean, you can tell that Owen is a historian. What you bring to your videos is incredible. I feel like I walk away smarter. I walk away with a deeper understanding of why the comics I love work from a larger worldview and from the creator's standpoint and it's made me a better comics reader so anyone that likes our show owen's channel is phenomenal and i really
2: appreciate it i was really kind of worried for a second you were going to end that with and it's made me a better person too
0: (laughs) no i'm already perfect um
1: (laughs) yeah he's incorrigible so you tried you did your
2: best look Say what you will about me. I try.
0: (laughs) 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 All right, Lexi, let's end this.
3: All right, everybody. If you like the show and want to hear more from us throughout the week, please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective, or you can find each of us at our personal accounts at Dallas underscore comics, at Anne Comics, and at Lexi Lou underscore comics.
0: Um, sorry. I am the one that didn't have it pulled up Oh, this my week, gosh. So <laughs> you will have me memorized yet? No, because we have... If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review, and we will read it off on the show like this lovely inter- uh, interview. No, that's not the word for it. Whatever the heck this is. Review. 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 Thank you. I was going to say interview, and I knew that wasn't right. This yeah. review from... Doug, sorry, I'm going to edit all this out. So who the hell cares? I'm going to sound so cool. <laughs> Doug, in... the animated
1: character. Yeah. So good. nice of him to show up.
0: No, so Doug, for every kind of geek, leaves us the review. Whether you're a seasoned fan of thinking get it, or thinking of getting into comics, look no further. Dallas, Lexi, and Anne strike a perfect balance between artful analysis and fun banter that makes every episode feel like you're talking shop with old friends. These three bring their A-game to every book they cover, even ones they're not crazy about. Sorry about all the Morrison stuff, Lexi. And their creator interviews give me a deeper appreciation for the craft behind this incredible medium. This is a great podcast made by great people. So go ahead and give it a listen. And don't be a (laughs) pingus, Which is an inside joke that I appreciated a lot. Yeah, thank you, Doug. If you want to be read off on the show like that, or you just want to make us all smiley and giddy, go ahead and leave us a five
1: star review on Apple Podcasts. Yeah. And finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments for the show at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. And, oh. Who was going to say something? Dallas? (laughs) Okay,
3: never mind. Um, And if you guys want to tune in next week for our episode, we will be going over Avengers Academy. I know we mentioned it in the episode, but y'all better come and check that out. It'll be really fun. We have
1: a good lineup so far for 2022. (laughs) It's going to be great. And then Bone. We're going to read Bone. I'm so excited. (laughs)
0: All right. Thank you, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye.
1: Bye.